Book four, chapter two, part one of the history of the Inquisition of Spain, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two, by Henry Charles Lee. Book Four, Organization, Chapter Two, Part One: The Tribunal. During the active career of the Inquisition, it was the local tribunal which represented it to the people. The Inquisitor General and Suprema were distant and held no direct relations with the community. It was otherwise with the Inquisitors, at whose bidding anyone, however high placed, could be thrown into the secret prison to emerge with an ineffaceable mark of infamy, while his property, to the minutest item, was sequestrated and tied up, perhaps for years, and if not confiscated, was largely consumed in expenses. Men wielding such power, and virtually irresponsible, shed terror around them as they walked abroad and, as we have seen, their habitual use of their position was not such as to allay these apprehensions. They were the visible agents of the Holy Office, the embodiment of its mysterious and all-embracing authority, empowered to summon to their aid the whole resources of the state, and answerable only to the chief. The tribunal, in which they sat in judgment on the lives and fortunes of all whom they might call before them, could only be regarded with universal dread, for no one knew at what moment an unguarded utterance, or the denunciation of some enemy, might bring him before it the delimitation of the land into districts each subject to its own tribunal was naturally a work of time in the early period when there were converso suspects everywhere it mattered little where an inquisition was set up for it could find abundant occupation in any place and when the field was temporarily exhausted it could transfer itself elsewhere in search of a fresh harvest ferdinand in his instructions to the inquisitors of saragossa in fourteen eighty five tells them that wherever in aragon they think that an inquisition is necessary they are to notify torquemada who will send inquisitors there thus we hear of tribunals in aragon at teruel jaca tarazona barbastro and calatayud there was one partly aragonese and partly catalan lerida and huesca which was not divided between saragossa and barcelona until fifteen thirty two in catalonia there were tribunals at perpignan and balaguer and in castile others more or less permanent at medina del campo avila guadalupe osuna jaen jerez alcaraz plasencia burgos durango leon and doubtless many other places even as late as fifteen o one a royal cedula announces that data is about to send inquisitors with their officials to various bishoprics to provide them with tribunals and all receivers were instructed to pay them such sums as he might designate under such conditions there could be no very precise boundaries of jurisdiction for it mattered little who burnt a judaizing new christian but it was otherwise with the confiscations which required to be garnered by those responsible and authorized by the king and the first strict definitions of districts would seem to have arisen in commissioning receivers thus in fourteen ninety eight the receiver of saragossa is qualified for the sees of saragossa and tarazona he of valencia for those of valencia tortosa segorbe and teruel while we hear of one for huesca Gerona and Urgel, apparently distinct from Barcelona. For a considerable time, moreover, the tribunals, to a certain extent, were ambulatory, traveling around with their whole corps of officials and empowered to take possession of such buildings as they might require, wherever they saw fit to establish themselves for a time, while the receivers were instructed not to require of them an account of their traveling expenses. The regulations for such an itinerant court may be gathered from a cedula of May 17, 1517, addressed to all the officials and inhabitants of Leon and the bishoprics of Plasencia, Coria, Badajoz, and Ciudad Rodrigo, instructing them to give free lodgment, but not in inns, to the inquisitors and their officials, and to charge them only current prices for food. Where they settle for a time and set up their court, they are to rent lodgings in houses where they can have the use of one door and the owner of another, 
while suitable provision must be had for an audience chamber and a secret prison the rent is to be determined by appraisers mutually selected but if the stay is less than a year rent will be payable only for the time of occupancy there is to be no opposition or maltreatment but they are to have all aid in favor under penalty of ten thousand marabedis the power thus conferred of temporary expropriation was not always exercised considerately in fifteen fourteen hernando sanchez of jerena complained to ferdinand that seven years before the inquisitors had taken his house compelling him to build another and this they were now about to seize ferdinand compassionated him and prohibited them from doing so it was otherwise when the tribunal in fifteen sixteen was transferred to placencia the corregidor reported that the most suitable house was that of the dean who was residing in rome and had rented it when he was told to turn out the tenant and install the tribunal the rent as usual to be determined by two valuers even the episcopal dignity had to give way to the exigencies of the inquisition the bishop of cuenca was president of the audiencia of toro and during his absence his palace was occupied by the tribunal in fifteen nineteen he was about to return and give it notice to quit when charles v wrote to him that if he was going to cuenca he could find other buildings for his residence the inquisition had spent much money on the prisons and must not be disturbed nor was this the only similar case yet existing rights were sometimes respected when in seville the castle of triana was assigned to the tribunal the count duke of sanlucar was its hereditary alcaide he ceded his position in exchange for the hereditary office of alguacil mayor of the tribunal and in seventeen o six this office was still enjoyed by his descendants the marquises of leganes to whom it was reckoned to be worth one hundred fifty thousand marabedis a year a similar bargain was made with the marquis del carpio who was hereditary alcaide of the royal alcazar of cordoba when it was occupied by the tribunal of that city and in seventeen o six the marquis of the period was drawing an income of one hundred thousand marabedis from it in both cases the incumbents provided deputies at their own expense in the original economical simplicity of the institution torquemada in fourteen eighty five ordered that all the officials should lodge in one house but as the personnel of the tribunals waxed larger and self-indulgence increased this rule became obsolete and houses were furnished to the subordinates the rents of which under instructions from cardinal manrique about fifteen twenty five were defrayed from the fines and penances levied on culprits this became the general rule although there are some instances of its inobservance and of individual officials complaining of adverse discrimination in not being thus favored in thus providing houses for its employees the inquisition claimed the right of eminent domain and vindicated it after the usual arbitrary fashion when it encountered resistance as occurred in bali of the leave in sixteen twelve the secretary of the tribunal wanted a house which was occupied by an official of the chancellery or high court of justice for old castile and leon the tribunal incontinently ejected him and installed its secretary who in turn was ousted by the offended court the judges were promptly excommunicated and the court rejoined by fining the parish priests for publishing the censures arrests were made on both sides the court imposed fines on the inquisitors who replied by threats of further anathemas the chronicler fails to inform us of the outcome but under philip the third there can be little doubt of the final triumph of the tribunal the cedula of fifteen seventeen was repeated in another of february eighth fifteen forty three and remained as a permanent regulation in sixteen forty five a formula shows that whenever any official travelled on the business of a tribunal he was furnished with a letter embodying the cedula of fifteen forty three and commanding in the customary imperious style that he be furnished with free lodging and beds and provisions at current rates under pain of excommunication and a fine of a hundred thousand marabedis the organization of the tribunal at first was exceedingly simple 
We have seen how in 1481, in Seville, two Dominican friars, with a legal assessor to guide them, and a fiscal as prosecuting officer, did such active work that they speedily required two receivers of confiscations to gather in the products of their industry. There must doubtless have been subordinates to attend to the clerical duties, to serve citations, and to take charge of prisoners, but the tribunal was manned on the most economical basis, and there was no time wasted. After four years' experience, Torquemada defined a tribunal as consisting of two inquisitors, an assessor, an alguacil, and a fiscal, with such notaries and other minor officials as might be necessary. They were to receive salaries, and no fees were to be charged under pain of dismissal, and no inquisitor was to use an official as a household servant. In this no account was taken of the force necessary to secure and handle the confiscations, for these were the concern of the sovereigns, and as yet their management was distinct from the prosecution of heretics. It constituted an intricate business, involving innumerable questions arising from claims of every description, which at first were settled in the secular courts, not always to Ferdinand's satisfaction. He grew intensely anxious to bring them within the jurisdiction of the Inquisition, declaring that if they were decided according to the law of the land, he would never get justice. For a while these duties were therefore thrown upon the inquisitors. In 1499, in the tribunal of Burgos and Valencia, Rodrigo de Carguello is styled inquisitor and judge of confiscations at a salary of 75,000, while his colleague, Alonso de Torres, receives only 60,000. Eventually, as we shall see, a subsidiary court for this purpose was established in each tribunal under a juez de bienes, or judge of confiscations. Ferdinand was thriftily resolved that the profits of persecution should be protected against the growth of expenses, and he struggled, though in vain, against the expansion of the payroll. Writing to Torquemada, July twenty-second, 1486, he protests against the efforts of the inquisitors to multiply salaried positions. The torturer, the scriveners, the deputy alguaciles, the alguacil should supply the latter and also pay the portero. The payroll is already excessive, and the inquisitors demand so many salaries that they must be carefully watched. Ferdinand might chafe under the increasing burdens, but he could not check them. In this same year we find him obliged to give orders for the payment, in the tribunal of Saragossa, of two inquisitors, an assessor, an episcopal vicar general, an advocate fiscal, a procurator fiscal, an alguacil, two notaries, a receiver of witnesses, two messengers, a receiver and a scrivener, a physician, and a royal notary for the confiscations, whose salaries amounted to 37,700 sueldos, about 1,800 ducats to which were to be added ayudas de costa, not as yet an established custom, but prevalent in one form or another. At the same time, the payroll of the tribunal of Medina del Campo was somewhat smaller, amounting to about 1,550 ducats, although there were three inquisitors and an assessor, for there were fewer minor officials. In 1493, the tribunal of Valencia, one of the most active, was run with only one inquisitor and no assessor, costing only about 1,450 ducats. At the same time, it should be borne in mind that these sums include the prison expenses, defrayed by the alguacil out of his salary, which was usually the largest in the list, an arrangement more economical than conducive to the welfare of the captives. The law of growth continued to operate. A list of ayudas de costa for Valladolid in 1515 shows three inquisitors, a fiscal, an alguacil, three notaries of the secreto or trial chamber, a receiver, a notary of sequestrations, a jailer, a messenger, and a portero. In 1568, Philip II, in defining the salaried officials exempt from taxation, enumerates, for this same tribunal, two or three inquisitors, a fiscal, an alguacil, an auditor, a judge of confiscations, four notaries of the secreto, a notary of sequestrations, a receiver, a messenger, a portero, an alcaide of the secret prison and one of the penitential prison, 
a notary of the juzgado or court of confiscations, an advocate of the fisc, a procurator of the fisc, two chaplains, a physician, a barber, a surgeon, and a steward for the poor prisoners. Besides these salaried officials, there was an indefinite number of unsalaried ones, consultors, who served in the consultas de fe, calificadores or censors, who pronounced on the charges prior to arrest and sat in judgment on books and writings, advocates of the accused, quote, personas honestas, unquote, who were present at the ratification of witnesses, in addition to the familiars and commissioners with their notaries. Then there came subsequently to be other officials, either salaried or living on fees, the notary de lo civil, or secretary in civil cases, the notary of actos positivos in matters of limpieza, the depository with whom applicants to prove their limpieza had to deposit in advance the cost of investigation, the superintendent of sequestrations, the superintendent of property, the proveedor or purveyor of food for prisoners, and, in some tribunals, the locksmith and bricklayer were reckoned as officials. Even when the salaries were trifling, the pressure for place was incessant in order to enjoy the privileges and exemptions of the Inquisition, and we shall see that when financial despair caused offices to be offered for sale, they were eagerly purchased, irrespective of profit. This overgrown personnel was admitted to be an abuse, and repeated efforts were made for its reform. A decree of June 19, 1629, repeated in 1638, prescribed the number to be allowed in each tribunal, but, as usual, these provisions were disregarded or eluded. In 1643, Philip IV animadverted on this disobedience. The excessive number of officials caused the greatest evils both to the tribunals and the kingdom, and he ordered their reduction to the ancient standard in the briefest time possible. To this the inquisitor-general replied, fully admitting that this overplus of officials was the cause of the impaired character of the inquisition and of the insufficiency of the revenues to meet the salaries. The Suprema, he said, had repeatedly attempted a reform, but the misfortunes of the times, and the pressure of the king, had rendered it powerless and the only remedy would be a papal brief defining numbers and invalidating all surplus commissions. The Suprema, on its side, presented a consulta suggesting a reissue of the decrees of 1629 and 1638, while the Inquisitor-General should be deprived of power to exceed these limitations. It further stated that it had sent orders to each tribunal prescribing the numbers and requiring them to be reduced forthwith. The effect of all this was nugatory. In the Aragon Concordia, forced upon the king in 1646, the number allowed to a tribunal, in addition to the inquisitors and fiscal, commissioners and their notaries and familiars, was 23, which shows how excessive had been the practice. What this was elsewhere is indicated in a memorial from Majorca about 1650, occasioned by the imprisonment in chains of a familiar named Reginaldo Estado, because he desired to resign on being appointed consul del mar. The opportunity is taken of representing the evils arising from the multiplication of officials, as set forth in a previous petition of January 11, 1647, and protesting that the civil and criminal jurisdiction of the Inquisition was the total ruin of the people, so that they would welcome its limitation to matters of faith as a full recompense for all the services rendered to the crown. In each of the thirty-four villages, outside of the capital, there were three officials, besides familiars. In Palma they were multiplied without limit by creating places that had no duties and appointing assistants and deputies ad libitum while all the tradespeople and mechanics employed were reckoned as officials bringing the number up to a hundred and fifty besides familiars all these with their wives and children and household servants and the widows of the deceased enjoyed the active and passive fuero in both civil and criminal cases bringing in large revenues to the tribunal through the excessive costs of litigation and stimulating oppression of all kinds endured through dread of its censures 
this memorial with evidence sustaining its allegations was submitted to the council of aragon which after due examination reported it to the king with the recommendation that the officials and familiars in majorca should be reduced to what was necessary for the business of the tribunal but there is no trace that attention was paid to this advice these majorquin grievances reveal not only the consequences but the causes of this inordinate multiplication of official positions it had been stimulated moreover by the suicidal policy of selling offices and of creating them for the purpose of sale one of the ruinous expedients resorted to by philip the fourth in his desperate efforts to make an exhausted treasury supply the extravagance of the court and badrine of foreign wars there is no positive evidence that this example was followed by inquisitors for their individual profit but it would be surprising if this were not occasionally the case venality had crept in as early as fifteen ninety five when philip the second in his instructions to manrique de lara speaks of an innovation by which offices were transferred for money sometimes for large sums which was very prejudicial and caused much murmuring these apparently were transactions between individuals but they could not take place without the connivance of the appointing power and from this the step to creating offices for sale was easily taken when the pressure or the temptation was sufficient it came in sixteen twenty nine though in justice to philip the fourth it must be said that he hesitated before succumbing in that year the suprema assembled december twenty third a number of theologians and submitted for their opinion the proposition that in every place where there were six familiars one of them should be permitted to purchase the vara or wand of an alguacil with the title and all the privileges and exemptions being a valuable privilege that would bring in much money the theologians pronounced the scheme lawful with advantages far outweighing its disadvantages and suggested that districts might be combined so as to furnish the six familiars the proceeds were evidently intended for the exchequer of the suprema for when the plan was submitted to philip he said that it might greatly prejudice the public peace and referred it to the council of castile and the suprema finally on march twentieth sixteen thirty he returned it to the inquisitor-general saying that it had been approved by persons of learning and conscience and he asked for an estimate of its productiveness after some further parleying the scheme was adopted and announced to the tribunals by the suprema august seventh sixteen thirty one the limitation of one familiar out of six was abandoned and the offer was thrown open to all who could prove limpieza the sale was for three lives the commissions were issued by the inquisitor-general himself the vara of the alguacil ship carried with it a familiar ship and the only limitation was that if the third life fell to one who could not prove limpieza the tribunal could sell it again and report to the suprema thus the sale went on the ostensible object being the payment of the troops there was no limit to the alguacil ships and finally other offices came into the market the depositario de pretendientes the notariate of civil causes of the juzgado of sequestrations and receiverships auditorships etc it goes without saying that simple familiar ships were sold and in sixteen forty two we hear of a block of three hundred being offered regulations issued between sixteen thirty one and sixteen forty three show that although public auctions were nominally forbidden the positions were put up privately and sold to the highest bidder even women sought to obtain the privileges attached to the ornaise and in sixteen forty one it was found necessary to prohibit receiving bids from them except when made in favor of men whom they were about to marry in sixteen thirty nine philip proposed even to put up for sale the office of alguacil mayor of the suprema and of all the tribunals by which he expected to defray the pay of four hundred foot and two hundred horse this staggered the suprema which represented that papal authority would be necessary and the proceeds would be small as the places were all filled and would fall in slowly while only that of the suprema and three or four others would fetch considerable sums reasoning which put a quietus on the project 
from various indications we may assume that the confidential posts in the secreto were not sold and that offices of active duty in the tribunals were sold only when vacated although a decree of sixteen forty one shows that they were vacated for the purpose the prices realized were large february sixth sixteen forty four Valencia reported that the sale by auction of the unimportant office of depositario de pretendientes for six thousand reales of full-weight silver had been cancelled because the purchaser insisted that it conferred the exemptions of an office in the secreto a reply of the suprema february eleventh sixteen forty three to a request from philip for means to pay four hundred foot and two hundred horse for eight months gives us the prices fetched by a number of positions and also shows that the terms varied from spot cash to installments running through a year or two in murcia it says there were still due three thousand five hundred ducats vellon for the offices of auditor and notary of sequestrations in seville the receivership had been auctioned for eight thousand five hundred ducats of which two thousand were in silver and there were still due one thousand ducats in silver for an auditorship in jerena the notariate of sequestrations had brought at auction three thousand ducats vellon in logroño the auditorship had fetched one thousand ducats vellon in toledo the receivership had been sold at auction for six thousand three hundred sixty ducats vellon in cordoba the receivership had brought five thousand ducats one-fourth in silver the aggregate payable at various periods was four thousand two hundred fifty ducats silver and twenty four thousand one hundred ten ducats vellon but the final remark of the suprema shows the incurable prodigality of philip even in his deepest distress for it quietly adds that none of this is available because it had all been granted by royal decree to don pedro pacheco a member of the suprema we are told that when in sixteen forty three arce y assumed the inquisitor generalship he recognized that there were too many supernumeraries and that he prohibited the sale of offices until further orders if so the intermission was but temporary for a royal decree of sixteen forty eight shows that it was still going on and in seventeen ten we happen to hear of the sale in valencia of a notaria del juzgado for four lives for sixteen thousand reales in seventeen fifteen the tribunal of peru seems to have been doing a little business of the kind on its own account which the suprema promptly stopped stigmatizing it as simoniacal this probably indicates that it had ceased in spain but the custom of selling for three or four lives seems to have been conducive to longevity for many continued to be thus held until late in the eighteenth century an investigation ordered in seventeen eighty three into the records concerning them indicates that there were still survivors or at least claimants whose titles were to be scrutinized. End of Book four, Chapter one, Part four.